watching porn all day, eating junk food, sedentary lifestyle, over-indexing on social media. And that's their lives. And then you wonder how they turn up into being lonely old men by the time they're 50, who have no vigor, no vitality, no energy in their spirit for engaging in life itself. And are more than anything, just a drain on the system itself. Strength, light, purpose, drive is not inherited through the bloodstream. You have to choose it. You can only ever be where you are right now. What is your podcast? It's the major investment in your life, right? The journey will always be your journey. Yo, what's good, my friends? It's Adam here, and welcome to the Bold Dojo Podcast. We're the home of self-cultivation, a place where we can just dive into social dynamics, where we can understand how best to interact with other human beings and learn about ourselves in relation to others. If you have any questions or personal stories that you would like to get my feedback on, you can always send them through at boldojo.com, B-O-W-L-D-O-J-O.com, any one of the contact forms there. Or you can also reach out to me on social media, on Instagram at uitang one double oi tang one or on facebook which is just facebook the adam ui you guys can find all the links down below to that also if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter the bowl sip you can do so over at bowldojo.com just a quick sip of social dynamics little cheeky article it's free every single week comes out on fridays australian time and also some other sexy updates from the rest of the universe and any other things that i think you guys need to know about that will not get censored over on social media once off sessions and I look forward to diving deeper with you. You can also pick up the guided meditation, Eternal Energy, on boldoja.com. A nice five track. Eh, we call it an album, but it's actually more of a course. Just diving deep into who you are and evolving beyond. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, which is paypal.me forward slash Adam Ui, A-D-A-M-O-O-I. Or also directly on boldojo.com in the Boldojo podcast section. There's a direct link through the website if you want to donate through that as well. And anything that you guys donate is always most appreciated and just goes back to help supporting this show and everything that I'm doing here at The Bowl. So thank you very much. Without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Yosha! Sad boys and lonely old men, both a product of the same issue, a lack of purpose, a drive, cultivation of supreme excellence in their temples, and a complete abolition on the focus of serving others, completely ego-driven. Today we're going to talk about not only a 19-year-old who had a restraining order placed upon him because his lack of of social dynamics that pushed a woman away from him, young woman, only 21 years old, to the point of which that she had to call the sheriff's office, had him placed in jail, he got bailed out. We'll talk about that story a little bit later on, but he has lost the light in his life. I had a working session with him for the first time, never heard of him before prior to this. And so the path forward for him, path forward for him getting on the journey when you're so lost at such a young age. Then we're also going to talk about the complete opposite end, the lonely old 50-year-old men that I've been privy to observe and to understand what it's like on the other end of the scale watching as new year's eve goes down as people young kids young 18 year olds 20 year olds in the springtime of their youth are out there on the beach partying it up and then you've got these lonely old men on the side drinking their lives away but what's interesting about it is that they weren't always lonely old men corrupted at some point though they once had families they once had children still do have children but no longer in contact no longer have that family support why are they lonely and old now It's fascinating to me. It's incredible that at any stage of the journey as a human being in this life, particularly being a masculine being, you can be you can either be sad or lonely and old. You can might be all three together. And in today's podcast, what I really want to drive into as we start off this year, 2022, is moving, even if it's only one of you listening to this, who is either in a sad place or a lonely and old place. Lonely place. Can't change you being old. Well, actually, yes, we can. Because when I say old, 
Old does not refer to numerical age. I've been coming across this more and more. I met a girl yesterday on the beach, shout out to Yvonne, who is 36, yet she seems like a 24-year-old. And I kept telling her that, like, you don't even seem anywhere close to your numerical age because your life age, your energetic age, your energetic age is so much younger. The energy with which someone is able to export out to you is far more indicative and reflective of their vitality, right? Their, their presence. So we're going to tackle two different ends here today. And I want to move towards the path of instead of lonely, sad, old men and boys, let's get strong, fulfilled, light-driven, purpose-driven on a path, on a journey, boys and men that are going to provide much better for not only themselves, but of course, most importantly, their families, the people around them, the other beings of this world. Welcome, my friends, to Bottle Your Podcast episode 10-something. Might be 108. I don't know. I don't know. I don't ever remember the numbers. But today, so we're here at the beginning of the year, and I thank you all for joining in today. I've got a... We're going to read out some of the email from the 19-year-old, the first email that he sent me. There's some pretty, uh, pretty damning, but also reflecting points in there. That's going to be make this podcast very real but then i'm also going to i've got this i've got some quotes for you guys i've got some passages i should say some excerpts some excerpts from a book that i've been going through at the moment called musashi by eiji yoshikawa which is a fictional retelling on a true man's life so it's based on true events essentially that there is actually i've got it right here the Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Musashi, which is Miyamoto actually written by Musashi Sama. And this is his actual philosophy. That's not the book that I'm going to be reading from today. Or the, the few little excerpts I have from you guys. This is by Eiji Yoshikawa, which is the uh, thousand page book, which is uh, just tremendous. I haven't even finished it yet, but it's absolutely tremendous. I've got pages of uh, notes written on it so far. And I want to kick it off with this one right now. So the context of this first excerpt or this first passage I'm going to read for you guys is Musashi, who's just spent three years in a dungeon, so to speak, uh, reading books after having really messed up his life as a different boy, as a still a boy, he's still pretty young in his late teens at this stage. And uh, he was actually not formally known as Musashi at the time. His original name was Takazo. And so this is Musashi who's come out of his three years of training in the dungeon and he's on a bridge speaking to a young woman who's in love with him, who wants nothing more than to join him on his journey as he is dedicated now to his path of swordmanship and to learning the way of the sword. So he's on the bridge and this is him speaking to the woman. This is Musashi speaking to Otsu, the woman. <clears throat> I told you, I've just become a new man. I stayed in that musty hole for three years. I read books, I thought, I screamed and I cried. Then suddenly, the light dawned. I understood what it means to be human. I have a new name, Miyamoto Musashi. I want to dedicate myself to training and discipline. I want to spend every moment of every day working to improve myself. I now know how far I have to go. And if you chose to bind your life to mine, you'd never be happy. There will be nothing but hardship and it won't get easier as it goes along. It'll get more and more difficult. Otsu replied to him, When you talk like that, I feel closer to you than ever. Now I'm convinced I was right. I found the best man I could ever find, even if I searched for the rest of my life. Okay, 
Hold that for me, please. Now, let's hear from the 19-year-old who just had a restraining order placed on him. I'll first surmise the situation because it's far too long of an email to just read it all out. So he's essentially a 19-year-old who is living in a Western country who is of Middle Eastern descent. I'm not going to say any more than that. He is he was a virgin coming into this relationship with this girl. She is older. She is uh, 21, I believe. He's 19. She was sexually experienced prior to this, so she was definitely in a more mature guiding role. Not that I would say she is mature in terms of female psychological development. Uh, she's still got a lot of demons she's working through, absolutely. A lot of development to be had, but definitely more uh, mature than him. I can say that for sure. Now, moving past that, anything other? Anything else you need to? Oh, yes, how they meet. They met at work. They were friends for about a year. Then they slid into a friends of benefits situation. And then after some time within that FWB, they decided to, and he pushed the issue to become more of a item, more of a relationship. I don't know the rigor around which they'd set up that relationship because they seemed to fall in and out of being in a relationship, something in the order of 10 times that he explicitly described to me them. Mostly him, they just kept breaking up because he'd recognized they weren't sexually compatible, in his words, sexually incompatible. Using my words, sexually, spiritually, not on the same level because there was inherent issues to do with not only sexual appetite, he had much more desire for having sex than she did, but also she had some mental health uh, issues that she was working through, some also prehistory to do with sexual abuse. And of course, on his end, just a complete lack of understanding at the core fundament fundaments of what a relationship actually is. What to do within a relationship he has no concept of because it is his first one. And so he's learning through all this himself. And so you've got really not a great situation here. So they kept breaking up a lot. And it was mostly him trying to reinvigorate, try to uh, re- yeah, reinvigorate, re-establish the relationship again and again until, until one day or the 10th time, so to speak, not even so to speak, the 10th time, that while she was distancing from him into just being friends, he reached out to her ex-boyfriend to discuss the situation. What he discussed, I don't know. But he inherently felt this was the wrong thing to do, and so he fronted up to her in fear that her male... Uh, her ex-boyfriend would eventually tell her anyway. So he decided to just front up with her and say, hey, listen, I'm, I spoke to your ex-boyfriend about some things and she, of course, was repulsed by this. She rebuffed him. She decided she wanted nothing more to do with him, blocked him cold on everything. And this sent him into a spiral of neediness, entitlement as well, to seek closure. He described that he couldn't sit with the pain, could not sit with the pain of having, you know, his first sexual relationship, having spent almost every day with this person for months and known them for longer, all of a sudden she just ghosts him. She goes completely cold and blocks him on every potential avenue of communication. And so instead of sitting with that pain, he attempts to chase after it, to try and rectify it, to bring closure to it. He starts finding every potential avenue, rocking up at her house, sending her letters, emails, calling her parents, and just trying to find any avenue, any way to squeak himself back not necessarily to get back into her life. Maybe there's a part of him that would have liked that, but more so, as he described to me, just to bring closure to end the relationship rather than this cold cut, this cold ghosting, which, of course, she repulsed more too. And so I want to just read out now a couple excerpts. After I told her that I reached out to her ex, she blocked me from every single thing on earth. And the moment after that, I never felt more inadequate. 
It was beyond my imagination how this could be possible. Anyway, I never gave up. I kept making accounts to communicate with her. She wanted nothing to do with me. I kept making new accounts trying to contact her. In September, she went and got a restraining order. I got served with a month court date after that. Court date a month later after that, I think he means. Sorry, it's not perfect English. And he was hit with a two-year restraining order. I was in extreme denial, depression. I quit my job. I didn't even turn anything against her because it was never me against her kind of thing. I don't know anything about law, so I fucked it up and never sought legal attention. So I went on. I tried contacting her privately, begging her to figure it out privately. Like genuinely, I told her that I have nothing against her, risking everything I personally have, including going to jail, for the hope that she'll have empathy towards me. I got her gifts for Christmas, delivered to her address to make her have some trust towards me. In brackets, man, I know it's all freaking dumb. In brackets, I got impatient. She never got back to me regardless of anything that I sent. Last week, I tried to go to her place and see her. As soon as she saw my car, she called the sheriffs and I waited there until they came and arrested me. I went to jail for a day. My parents bailed me out a few days ago and I'm waiting on my court date in a couple of weeks for a felony charge, stalking and violation of a restraining order. During the past six months, I have already lost interest in doing everything in life, work, school, working out, and I've been trading stocks for the past few years, so I put that on the side as well because I lost quite a bit of money in the same period. Moral of the story is, my life is in quotes, fantastic, end quotes, now. So he has sent that email to me, being a random cold stranger. I never once heard from him before, never worked from him before. He also simultaneously booked a 60-minute uh, coaching session with me, and we had our first session just yesterday. And what was most incredible about that session was that this was not a menace to society. This was not the type of person you would think would go through this behavior. As I was on the session with him, I was half in disbelief at how such a puppy dog could fall into such misguidance, could be so misguided to execute such an extreme level of poor performance on the masculine's part. Because I think what I'm trying to communicate to you is that you all know those who are socially inept. You know, those who have just got a screw missing. There's a few bolts missing in the wiring. The wirings don't fully match up. And so you could see, like, you guys know what I'm talking about. When you come across someone who's like, yeah, this guy could be a serial killer. Or like this, if there was a person who might be, you know, a bit of a bit of a perpetrator, this guy could be a perp. You know, you... You get that feeling inherently just because the way that they interpret social cues, the way that they execute social cues is the timing's a little bit off. They're, uh, they're reading, their understanding of the intent of what you said. They just miss the mark. They miss the mark on these things. That's not this guy. This guy, by any other stretch, seemed like a well-adjusted and well-balanced person. In fact, so, well, no, maybe let's not say that. I was going to say well, so well-balanced, so well-adjusted. No, overbalanced, over-adjusted. No, what I think it is at the core is the misguidance in which that he also described to me that he didn't reach out to his friends, he didn't reach out to his parents, none of them knew about this entire scenario until literally just like a couple days ago. This just recently happened. He didn't see, he didn't reach out to a coach or anyone. This is the, I was the first person he reached out who for professional guidance before seeking a therapist just because he had come across my content a few months ago. He knows that I'm deep in the weeds with this type of stuff. And so... That's the situation. And when I'm looking at him and I'm, and I'm guiding him, I'm getting him to explain the situation for me and his 
mindsets. I kept asking him, well, I asked him in many different ways, but all pointing to the same thing. Why were you so attached to her? And the number one reason why he was so attached to her was because he just wanted closure. He's like, I accepted that she didn't want to see me anymore, but what I couldn't accept was that she wouldn't have an upfront direct conversation with me about it. And so that's why I kept pushing and kept chasing. Now, he, he acknowledges that that was wrong. He acknowledged pretty easily throughout the conversation. He had, we had no qualms about the miscalculations, the, the incorrections of his behavior. What he did wrong was not a mystery. He understands that very well. And, I, and that's, again, where I can rule out a whole bunch of sociopathic labeling because you know to be sociopathic, you can't even understand what you did wrong. You don't even know that by when she kept saying or when she clearly blocked you from everything and you continuing to try and contact her, that's not the right thing to do. You know, it's sociopathic to think, why is that not the wrong thing to do? You know, to think that that was the right thing to do. That's not the case with this kid, this, kid, this young kid, in which that he, he knew what he was doing was wrong, but, but he had created a self-rationalization in his mind which is an interesting point, which was, and you guys find this quite interesting as I did, which was he, when I kept pushing him for, when I was really in the micros, just trying to really find if there's anything else festering underneath this. Through each stage of her blocking, saying no, not wanting you to come by, and you got the restraining order, because remember, he got the restraining order, then went to her house afterwards, which is now when he's been charged with a felony charge for breaking the restraining order. So it was on that moment that I said to him, but why did you go back again? And he said that because I didn't want there to be a loose affiliation or in his mind, a strong affiliation if something else went wrong in her life and that they would then go back and be able to blame him for it because he would be a likely suspect. For example, if someone had blown up her car this is the literal example he gave me. If someone, What if someone blew up her car and then they tried to set me up and frame me for that? And they would easily be able to do that because they'd be able to see all my emails. You've got this stalkerish guy who won't leave her alone, calling her, already got the restraining order on me. So, so what I need to do is just in case something really extreme like that happens, or what if someone else sends her some crazy emails and they try to frame me and set me up for that, then what I need to do is to privately just settle it. Settle it privately so there's no more bad blood. There's definitely no bad blood and it's all brought to an end. That's what he said to me effectively. And so what I said to him is that, but you do realize that's completely irrational. You do realize that you've set up an extremely unlikely scenario in option A in order to give you means and just to go through option B. This is what we do to get what we want in our own minds that we give ourselves such an unlikely and extreme scenario that, of course, we would not want that. So we must go to the other option, which we have provided for ourselves. But who provided option A and option B? We did. So by imagining and constructing this, this fanciful tale of what if someone was to blow up her car and they set me up and they framed me for that, well, then, of course... No rational person would be able to say, oh, well, if that's going to happen, I would fine, let that happen. No, no, of course. No one would want that to happen. So, of course, you don't want that to happen. So, you must go to her house and settle it. You see what I'm saying? That it was a foregone conclusion from the moment he had set up that thought process. He was looking for a way to justify going and seeing her. 
he just had to rationalize it for himself and we we start to throw this uh, you know cognitive dissonance with the the bias of being a human being <laughs> Bias, like it's a mixture of a lot of biases coming in together and psychological flaws to justify getting what you want, no matter how illogical or rational it may be. He acknowledged this. He acknowledged this, but he didn't see it at first. But he did come to acknowledge it. Other than that, though, that was one thing he was not aware of. Other than that, though, he was aware of everything else. And this is the point that I was started off with here, which is that this is a 19-year-old kid. And I made sure uh, it would have been great if we, if you guys could have somehow been like in a live seminar watching the coaching session going down because I was, I believe I was quite balanced in my critique of him in which that, what have we got here? We've got a 19-year-old who has no sexual experience coming in. He doesn't have a support system of friends or family or a coach at that and so he's just being left to deal with the devices of attachment, of entitlement to closure on his own. Now, if we could rewind 10 to 15 years in which that social media is not so prevalent, in which that the world he was born into was something like the world he has now matured into, which is, you really need to understand what that means, which is that he was born in, if he's 19 now, 2002. Being born in 2002 and now living in 2022 is not the same. In 2002, Instagram wasn't around. Facebook wasn't around. You didn't have Tinder. You didn't have Bumble. You didn't have all these online dating apps. And now he's... But even going back before that, I was born in 1993. It's like it's, it just gets... It gets worse and it gets better depending on how you want to frame it. But the salient point is that he is not equipped was not equipped and is not equipped and will not be equipped moving forward to deal with scenarios like this. And I would largely say that most human beings aren't. And here's, here's the caveat or here's the sprinkling. Here's, here's something you need to hold with this concept, which is that based on your natural set point of social dynamics, all of this is going to dictate. Dictate how well you navigate these unknown waters, these hyper-novel waters of whatever we call life as human beings now integrated with technology and social media. It really is the social dilemma in which that if you are, I said to him this as well, if you are on the scale of zero to 10, 10 being the absolute natural of social dynamics and zero being the hard case of all hard cases, you are just basically just, just a rock. <laughs> She's got no concept of it. And then you're a five, an average dude in the middle, average person in the middle. Right. And you can break those down into different sections. You got socially incompetent, then you got socially competent, then you got socially con- unconsciously competent. Those are three, the real ends of what we're describing there. If you're someone who is eight and above and you've entered social unconscious competence, then your ability to deal with this integration of the way that our world works now and the way that relationships work. And if he, if he was on that scale, if our 19-year-old man was set up, and because by the way, how does someone become born with natural social dynamics being in that socially uh, uncon comp, unconsciously comped? How does someone begin like that? Because they had not only the genetic wiring that all the wires were there in their head, that they were predisposed to being able to read 
and to execute social cues at a high level. That was all there from the beginning. But they were nurtured into it as well once they came into his life, that their parents, their friends, their social environment was conducive to social expression, to creative free flow, to being able to uh, learn, learn what it means to be a human being through expressing intent, eye contact, vocal projection, body language, vibe, all these different things. That was all there. That's how someone enters that, that end of the social dynamic scale. But if you're anything less than that, and if, so, well, hold on, let's pause that. If he was that, then I don't think he enters this situation. Because what you guys think there, well, this guy must be an absolute hard case. This guy must be the hard case of all hard cases to not receive the social cue that you're not wanted. This girl does not want you to be around you. So don't touch her. Don't go anywhere near her. Don't try and contact her. Don't try and do anything like that because you're going to see the repercussions. You have to be the hard case of all hard cases that Adam has described uh, in this podcast that have always seemed like a unicorn because it's very hard to put a face to that. But now we have. We, now it appears that we have a face, and I'm I'm left standing here going, "Is he the hard case for hard cases, or is he just so lost in a new world, in a new ocean, that what was previously considered the hard case of all hard cases is now being scaled up?" What I'm speaking towards here is I reflected on his situation last night after finishing the coaching session and heading down the beach and going on a long walk. I just thought. This is very unusual to me that of all the hard case references I have as a coach of people that I've coached, not only in person, but of course, through online correspondence as well. Hard cases have a face, an energetic face to them in which they have similarities in the, yes, attention deficit disorder. Yes, Asperger's. Yes, uh, maybe tending towards narcissism bipolar nature as well can sometimes play into it a whole bunch of psychological development disorders can play into why someone would be a hard case of social dynamics aka socially incompetent and that's not even talking about the genetic things that may have gone on in their development that's just talking about really just behavioral issues and you know okay let's not get into the deep weeds of that whether it is as a result of genetics or not or just the nature of the nurture who knows Depends, of course, individual scenario. But, 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 what I'm saying is that they seem, of all those elements I just gave you, those were common elements. You could, you could see them. And of all the people that I've seen that are hard cases that find it very difficult to read and execute social cues, they have some element of what everything I just said. But this guy didn't have those elements. He seemed like a... And I spent a solid hour with him, which I know doesn't seem like a long time, but when you've been doing this for many, many years and you are used to cutting to the core of people up front, of course, I can't, I, I wouldn't rely on just one session with him. I definitely need more sessions, but I got him to open up big time. I got him to speak a lot. I observed very, very intently. And I, I will say that probably one of the key credentials of my profession is listening to bring about any form of actual productivity or any to serve any form of uh, value to my clients, my level of listening has to be intense. And so I feel that I'm pretty confident when I say that this would be the last guy that I would expect to execute this form of behavior. Now, I could be completely off. If his friends and family came, to, I would, I'd love to have a chat with them and I'd just ask them if I'm off. But I don't think that I am. I don't think I'm that far off. I don't think I'm so far off that he was such a good actor in the session with me that, no, he is actually 
borderline, not, not, not borderline, but that he is actually socially incompetent. He just did a great job of fooling you within the session that he's not. Listen, you might be able to do that for five minutes, but for 60 minutes, and a little bit more, it's pretty hard, especially with someone like me who's trained to observe, isolate, analyze, and to package box people into certain categories of social development in order to target my advice towards them and my ability to question them to bring about their own resolution. It's not my first day of doing this. So what I'm pointing towards here is what the hell is happening to young people? Because this is sad. This is sad that for what seems to be an otherwise normal kid, he did the most unnormal thing. He's got a criminal record now. But it wasn't a criminal record because he was trying to... Because he was acting from malevolence. He was not acting from a place of intent to harm. He was, in his words, in the way that he really communicated, I I truly believe it, that he was just trying to bring closure to the situation, not realizing, as we went through our session and brought the enlightenment to, that he was never entitled to closure. I said to him... I asked him that, like, but what, what made you think that you were entitled to closure? And he goes, looking back now, I, I wasn't, but in the moment, it was just the emotions, it was the pain, it was my first relationship. And I say, yeah, you know, you know why that is? He goes, why? Because like, you're a human being and you don't have the equipment to deal with your emotions, clearly. And you didn't have the support system to help you to deal with your lack of dealing with the emotions, clearly. It's just... Uh, so I'm one guy. I don't know how often this is happening. I don't know how many people are getting restraining, how many girls are having to put restraining orders on guys. I do not know. But, but this is one reference that is heightened my sensitivity to this issue because one thing I, well, well this is just a very extreme scenario. Now, let me take that back. This is one reference, one anecdotal reference, one story that now gives a peek to a body of stories that I've been noticing. That the sadness amongst boys, and now that we've gone through this micro discussion, the sadness of boys. When I say sad, what am I talking about? When I'm saying sad boys and lonely old men, pause the lonely old men. What do I mean by sad? Am I just talking about depressed? Am I talking about who are just emotionally uh, low registering? No, what I'm talking about is the sadness of the quality of who they are, the sadness of their development the sadness of their ability to communicate on an emotional level with a feminine being. That's what I'm talking about when I say sad boys. The sadness in in which they lack the ability to provide a safe space for a girl, to make a girl feel like she can develop in her own. The idea of vessel starts to come into our minds now. You know, the vessel that a boy that can that a boy can create is of course never going to be to the same depth nor structure of what a psychologically well developed man will be able to. But that's his journey. That's his journey to learn to develop a vessel. And what does the vessel mean for those of you who are wondering what this esoteric term? It's not as esoteric as it may seem. While the esoterics like to use the term vessel, when I use the term vessel, I am talking about the space in which that you create for development, learning, a connection, a growth between two human beings. That is what a vessel is. A vessel is something that holds something. And for you to be able to hold 
the energy of another, hold the presence of another in tandem, in in concert with yours. That is what it's like to have a vessel like nature. It is very sad. It is very sad that young boys coming up aren't getting this instruction, aren't understanding what it means uh, to be able to learn about the dance between masculine and feminine energy without being corrupted by porn, by online dating, by a lack of true sense about what the cultivation of oneself would be in relation to another. And now it's almost as if time to segue into the 50-year-old lonely old man. But before we do, I want to read you another quote. Or an excerpt, I should say, from this book, Musashi. This was not actually in the words or the character of Musashi. It was someone speaking to Musashi. And this gentleman said to him, You'll find, my friend, that in the gutters of this floating world, much of the trash consists of fallen flowers. Much of the trash of this floating world consists of fallen flowers. Amazing, amazing. Now, when I think about what happened on New Year's Eve of 2021 to crossing over to 2022. As most of you know, I live most of my life down on the beach and I have inordinate connections down there because I live my life down there. I spend every day, and I don't actually live at the beach, but I travel there twice a day. Uh, so I think 20 minute, 15 to 20 minute drive, depending on the traffic. But I make it a point to shake hands, hug, kiss, meet people, swim with people of all ages, of all descent, of all kinds. And there are, it, is, it has been fascinating to me to witness and observe the demographic of older men at the beach. Because it's not that I don't think this, I do not think this is specific to the beach. I want to say that from the beginning. I think you could find this in any other environment. It's just that at the beach, I get to observe it because I spend so much time down there. Uh, in, in the gym is probably the next place you would be able to observe this, but not as well. It depends on the gym that you go to. Not my gym because my gym doesn't have a very large female demographic. It's very It's like 95% male. So, which is actually, by the way, on a side note, what I, I actually prefer that. I used to train at gyms that had a much higher female demographic and I find it very distracting. So I get to my shit, get my shit done uh, in a more male demographic there. Anyways, moving back to the beach. On New Year's Eve, there was an event I was supposed to be going to, which was supposed to hold like several thousand people uh, for the freedom movement down here in South Australia, but the government canceled it. Let's not get into the politics of it all. It just suffice to say it was unjustly cancelled while they allowed several other events to go on that weren't aligned in the freedom movement. Anyways, so I spent my night down on the beach and a lot of the guys, I mean, I've been observing this prior to New Year's Eve. It just seems, it was just the perfect example on New Year's Eve that when you've got People, as I said, in the springtime of their youth, you've got these young girls and young guys, not only literally children, but also teenagers as well. Uni students, uh, families, young couples, young families, all doing their thing, setting up for having drinks with their friends on the beach, having little dinner spots, picnics and whatnot. Everyone's having a good time. Because of COVID, there aren't a lot of people, not nearly as many people as there normally would be. It's just that everyone in this state particular is gripped by fear. Well, a lot of people are. So there were a lot of people chose to stay home. But for the brave souls that came out, there were a lot of old men around, I did notice. 
And when I say a lot, I'm just saying it's just not talking. It's no more than 5% of the uh, demographic, but enough to notice for someone who goes there every day, for someone who's there every day. And what I noticed was that a lot of these old men were not just old men. They were lonely old men. And what I'm speaking towards there is that whether they had a friend or two with them was not the loneliness. The loneliness was the energy with which they interacted. The malaise of defeat that glazed over their eyes. The blanket of defeat of succumb to what this world has dealt them throughout their lives. That's what I'm talking about when I say lonely. Lonely in spirit, lonely in energy, lonely in vitality for life itself. It struck me as quite intense because these, I know some of them, not all of them, but I know some of them, and I know some of their stories, which is that they were not always lonely in spirit and energy, vitality and energy. They were once just like some of the people on this beach right now. Once had families, once had uh, young daughters, young sons, and a wife, and life seemed to be great. Yet now they find themselves drinking away their lives. I wouldn't call them drunkards, but nonetheless still finding themselves with alcohol to soothe them, the company of other old men, and they watch as life goes by. Now, this is happening on New Year's Eve. I see this happen regularly, particularly on the nights where there are community dance groups where they set up like a DJ and it's big and anyone can come and just dance. Uh, when, you, when, you see, when you see a large congregation of people down at the beach, I often see pockets of these old men who, who will just sit and watch. They'll sit and watch and it's one of the loneliest things I've ever seen. It's one of the loneliest things I've ever seen because if you were – just a bystander, or if it's not a bystander, if you were just an irregular, someone who doesn't come down to the beach every single day, you wouldn't think anything of this because you don't know their patterns. You don't know if this is just just tonight, just today, but I know. And what I know is that this is their everyday life. And that to me is stings even more. That stings even more that particularly on an event such as New Year's Eve, that there's nothing special or different or, well, not that I would expect anything special or different. That, and I think therein lies the loneliness. That, of course, they are still doing the same thing they do every day, which is they just come down to the beach and they have a few beers and that's it. But, but it's a longing. There's a longingness for them to relive what was once theirs. Therein, there's a different thing. I definitely sense the longing in these lonely old men. And when I say old as well, you, you, I'm, I'm using that because that is what I mean. But they aren't numerically old. But then I'm not talking about 90-year-olds or even 70-year-olds. I'm talking about 50-year-olds. At the most 60. At the most 60. But I'm talking between the age of 50 to 60. Here. And I see a longingness in them, particularly when... There's groups of dancers, there's, uh, oh, but just, when I say dancers, not professional dancers, but people just dancing. 
and you see them sitting there off to the side on, on the bars, sometimes on their cars, off on the grass, and as if by watching them but not participating, they are somehow actually participating in the event or in life itself. That somehow by watching life, they are participating in life. And that that is good enough. And therein lies another key of the loneliness, what they're willing to settle for, what level of participation in life dictates living. And now I want to read you this excerpt. Hold that for me. And this is going to tell on real nice. Again, from Musashi. This is a conversation between Musashi and what turns out to be one of his main rivals, but not at the time. They weren't rivals at the time. Musashi goes on to say, the path I'm following is, for one, the way toward a fuller life. You'll be lucky if it doesn't lead you straight to hell. He responds, this river, you know, may be the three-pronged river of hell. This road, the mile-long road to perdition. The hill I'll soon climb, the mountain of needles on which the damned are impaled. Nevertheless, this is the only path toward true life. His rival, Sasuke Kojiro, responds by saying, The way you talk, you may already be possessed by the god of death. Musashi responds, think what you like. There are people who die by remaining alive and others who gain life by dying. That last bit right there is why I wanted to read this out at this moment. Think what you like. There are people who die by remaining alive and others who gain life by dying. Again, I get, again, just one more time. There are people who die by remaining alive. That bit right there, just hang on to that for me. There are people who die by remaining alive. And that is what I see in Lonely Old Men. What that quote speaks to, or what that knowledge, what that wisdom speaks to, the inherent gold, the lesson, is that Merely subsisting does not dictate a well-lived life. Just you being alive, but at such a mediocre level, such a level of despondence, lack of firth and vitality, it is as if you are already dead. And that you continuing to live on this way with such lack of vigor and expression for love, peace, and joy in your life, that is, in fact, an omission, a resignation to being dead already. There are people who die by remaining alive, and others who gain life by dying. Now, the final part of that sentence is not why I brought up this particular excerpt for our point right now, but just to finish it up and tie it up, the end of that, what that speaks to is that there are some who speak to and follow a cause, follow a path that will eventually lead them to death, no matter the risk, no matter the cause, but that is in their way, their way to living a true life. 
not the point that I wanted to focus on today uh, for this particular point. But more specifically, there are those who die by remaining alive. And I see that in, in lonely people, in lonely old men. Now, at the beginning of this podcast, I did mention that the sad boys and the lonely old men are a product of the same problem, which is a lack of purpose, a lack of drive, and a lack of imbued meaning in their lives that sees them wake up every single morning to develop themselves into beings of supreme excellence. That is ever-present in both scenarios here. When you look at the 19-year-old, absolutely everything I just said is like ding, 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 ding. But then also when you look at lonely old men, that's another commonality, another commonality, lonely in purpose, lonely in a reason to be living. So why is it, it becomes all so easy now to answer the question of why would they settle? Why would they settle for such a mediocre existence, such a detached existence, not willing to ever fully engage themselves Here's another thing. Here's an, this is a great, sorry, this is a, it's a tangent, but it's going to really paint it very well. What is another commonality amongst the lonely old men about their actions and behaviors? When I told you before, when, they, when there are big groups of people who are in community, when there's like a big community space set up for dancing or there's uh, on New Year's Eve when people are all uh, got all their friends around and whatnot, but yet they're still just doing their lonely old thing. Why won't they participate? Why won't they get engaged with it? Another thing they don't engage with is actually swimming. And this is a great one because there are old men who swim, but they aren't lonely. The old men who do swim aren't lonely. They are often accompanied by other people or if they, and by the way, it's not about actually the presence of other people, but it just so happens that there is often other people around them because they are attracted to the fact that they are not old in energy. But even those old men who are old numerically, but that they do swim, they're not old energetically. There was an old man that I met the other day. His name's Kerry, kind Kerry, who was just as young as I was in his energy. He's like a 28-year-old inside. And, and, and so he's participating in life though. He's in the water with me. He's swimming around. He's playing around. Another commonality with lonely old men is that they don't even go in the water. Like they're at the beach, but they don't even go in the water. They don't, and if they do go in the water, they're not frolicking. They're not ex- exposing themselves to the vulnerability of people seeing them as not being the sturdy old stoic statue. But, you know, they're not being children is what I'm saying. Children of energy. And to be a child of energy is a great thing. To be a child of energy and to maintain your, as I said, I've been saying, vigor, vitality, firth for this life, to be able to, to, be able to express at the deepest level. With the richest expression. That's childish. Childish in the best way. Because children do it best. That's another commonality. Sorry to bring back. We just, I just wanted to paint that, that, that right there. But loneliness of energy. Loneliness of old, uh, of old people. As if their mere part. As if their mere observation of life itself is good enough. It is participation for them. And that to me is one of the loneliest things I've seen. And it just, it's, it smacks me in the face. It smacked me in the face many a time, particularly on New Year's Eve, when I thought this is definitely not the path. Because this is not the path. If, if everything about the life of the legendary samurai Ronin, I should say, Ronin, which is just a masterless samurai, Ronin, uh, Miyamoto Musashi, who laid down his Book of Five Rings philosophy and has had many books written about him and is by far the most famous samurai of all time, he 
He thought he, he created his way. His way, his way was the way of the sword. Right? And he had his way. He had his hey-ho, as they called it. Let me read you this excerpt. Now as we start to switch to this conversation on purpose and waking up. This was a lesson taught to Musashi by a monk known as Takwan. And it was Musashi recalling the lesson that Takwan had once taught him, which was this. The truly brave man is one who loves life, cherishing it as a treasure that once forfeited can never be recovered. He well knew that to live was more than merely to survive. The problem was how to imbue his life with meaning, how to ensure that his life would cast a bright bright ray of light into the future. Even if it became necessary to give up that life for a cause. If he succeeded in doing this, the length of his life, 20 years or 70, made little difference. A lifetime was only an insignificant interval in the endless flow of time. That was a lesson he recalled just before he was about to face the 100 men of the Oshioka school. Page 509 in Musashi. Purpose. Lacking purpose, lacking reason for existence. It seems to pervade at all age. All age ranges are, are susceptible to this problem in human beings. And I've made much content on this. I've got an entire short film called Why Do You Wake Up in the Morning? It's one of the fundamental questions I get to of clients, which is why on earth do you wake up in the morning? What is your reason for doing what you do? What is your even reason for existence? So much philosophy written on this. A tremendous book, Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Frankel. Tremendous, tremendous on this. But you, that's a direct instruction uh, on the importance of purpose in one's life, particularly from someone who survived a, in, I think he was in Auschwitz, Auschwitz uh, a Nazi concentration camp. But even just reading through Musashi's life, if not through the fictional retelling of based on true events, or by just reading Musashi's actual Book of Five Rings, which is his actual philosophy, what you get from all these wise, wise men across the ages and wise humans as well. I'm sure there are many females as well. Even with Anne Frank, even with Anne Frank, if the diaries of Anne Frank, you just look at anyone who made any contribution to humanity. It doesn't even have to be grand. People that are just, who are, whether they know it, whether they are conscious of it, or whether they're just doing it because that's just what they do, which is that I do something and I love what I do and I do it because it helps others. You know, I, I bring this down from the 16th, 16th century samurai, legendary Musashi, down to just the bricklayer, down to, down to the guys that came and cleaned out our gutters. You know, when I think it was like uh, last, it was like six months ago or something, we had uh, a team of gutter guys come in, uh, clean out the gutters, and I think they may have installed some new gutter guard as well. But it was a team of them. A lot of them were Latin as well, which is actually quite unusual in our area. Uh, I know in the US, like it's a really common stereotypical thing that a lot of the gardeners are Latin American. But in Australia, that's not really the case. We don't have a particularly large proportion of Latin Americans in general in Australia particularly not in South Australia in the area I'm living in. And so it was a team of these guys and they were not only some of the nicest guys I've ever met, but they were some of the most driven guys I've ever met. They got shit done. They they came in, they got to work and they just put their heads down and did it. They just did the job. And when you just compare it to, it wasn't even just like they, they did the job. It's the way that they did the job. It's the way that they did the job in the way that Musashi committed himself to the way of the sword. It's as if these people had dedicated themselves to this particular line of 
work, to serving this line of work, that they were going to do it with the absolute best, the to the best of their ability, they would do these gutters. And I remember when I was uh, studying to be a personal trainer, I was getting my qualifications at the Australian Institute of Fitness, and they showed us a film of fishmongers. I've mentioned this in the podcast a few times. Fishmongers who, for the love of God, they loved fishmongering. And fishmongering was their thing. They woke up every day at whatever hour of the morning it was to get in there and to serve people fish. And the way that they did it, and this like this was filmed like back in the, the 90s, I think, or the early 2000s. And it was just a documentary on how it doesn't matter what you do as long as you love what you do and you do it with love. And that imbues your life with meaning, whether it's baking bread, serving fish, doing the gutters, roaming the country, cutting down people with your sword and and learning to best yourself through the way of the sword or being an accountant, being a a crypto trader, getting yourself in these non-fungible tokens, whatever it may be that you do, doing it so well to the end point of helping others. You know, you don't want to get confused in that calculation of, well, is it good enough just to be able to do something very, very well? Absolutely not. There are people who do things very, very well, but they don't serve a meaningful endpoint for others. You know, certain pharmaceutical companies are doing their job very, very, very well if their job is to produce profit. And that is their job. But they are also causing a lot of harm in the way and have been shown over the history of pharmaceutical companies to have caused a lot of harm in, in their way, in their wake. Because the endpoint is not necessarily benevolent. The endpoint is not primarily to help people. It's primarily to make a profit first. And then if we can help some people along the way, that would also be cool. But it's not the other way around for pharmaceutical companies. So you can definitely get that calculation ajar, corrupted. But to the people that, like the gutter guys that came by, it's like they inspired me with how much they wanted to do the job so well. And that in and of itself was so respectful respectable i should say it was so respectable to watch these guys go about their business to do it with smiles on their faces to do it with love in their hearts you could feel it you feel the energy within them and i guess this is what i really want to speak to as i'm tying it back to the lack of purpose and drive within either sad young boys or lonely old men at the root of their sadness at the root of their loneliness there may be other surface issues. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are other things. The alcohol on the lonely old men, alcoholism or the addiction to soothing like things that are trying to drown away their pain and other things, the distractions, the rationalization. But then you've also got the younger, the younger sad boys who you talk about porn, porn addictions, you talk about uh, the lack of support from friends, family, the online dating that's screwing up their ability to interact with others, the lack of cultivation of interacting with others. And there's one other one with the sad, the sad boys. What's the other one that I really wanted to hit on there? Uh, whatever it may be, there may be other surface issues that are going on in their lives. Absolutely. But if you really drill down to the core of it, I think you will always find a problem in their inherent meaning of life, why they choose to live. And to that question of what is the meaning of life? My answer to that is in how to live. The meaning of life is in how to live. That is what I've designed. And what that is to say is that the pursuit of learning how to best live as a human being to serve others in the best way you could, that inherently for me is the meaning of life. You don't have to take that. That doesn't have to be your meaning of life, but it sure as hell is for me. Because 
it's like I, I don't believe that the meaning of life can be transferred into you. I don't feel like it's something you can download. It's something you must create for yourself because you can go about saying anything as you want. You could say that the meaning of life is to go and live as a pineapple. Okay, that's great. <laughs> that's what you want, but it doesn't seem to serve much. Right? So I choose one that serves not only me, but most importantly, others the most. But it, it so happens that in the feedback loop, as you serve others more, you inherently serve yourself. Okay, let's take a step here. Let's take a step out. Sad boys, do they become, is it inherently predestined that, uh, is it inherently predestined that sad boys will become lonely old men? Loosely, I don't see how not. Tightly, if we're being really finicky about it, I'm sure that there are things that can get in the way along the way, but there might be some peaks is what I'm saying. But I think once you are in a downward spiral, if you continue a downward spiral, it only continues going down. A downward spiral does not somehow self-correct, is what I'm saying. Sad boys who are young, who are lacking in development, lacking in purpose, lacking in not only purpose, physical, mental, and social development, which is what I carefully lay out as the pillars or the foundations of someone's temple, transcended by an inner garden, aka the knowing of their true nature, a more deeply connected inner knowingness, whether you want to attach that to a religion or a spiritual belief that is on you, or maybe not attach it to any form of belief, but to purely believe in this moment in and of itself, Whatever, which, which is almost contradicting in itself, because to believe in a belief of the moment is almost not a belief in and of itself, because if you are in the moment, there's nothing to believe in. It's just the moment. <laughs> Hopefully you guys hanged with me with that. I think that made sense. I think that did make sense. If it didn't, that's okay. I think you understand what I'm saying. Just playing word games. So, the temple. The temples have been corrupted along the way, if not from the beginning, but along the way, if you've got a sad boy who's been transitioned into a lonely old man. And it's where I want to turn the gun on you guys now, or to anyone listening to this, and I'll turn the gun on myself as well. It's, it's what are you doing to prevent you from becoming a lonely old man? What are you doing to prevent that? What are you doing to ensure that that doesn't happen? What are you doing? What are you doing to ensure the opposite? As opposed to, like it's, I, I would not, it's, it's, it's a nice inquiry to ask yourself, what am I doing that prevents me becoming a lonely old man? But what might be, what might be a, diff- a better way of asking that or a different way of asking that that might be better for you, depends on how your mind works. What am I doing that's ensuring that I will become a lonely old man? What's ensuring that I am going to stay a sad little boy? Well, let's say this. Let's just take a few things that we know that would definitely, I, we could say with relative confidence, relative confidence that this would lead you to becoming a lonely old man. If you were to over-index on the following, pornog, pornog, porn, I was going to say pornography, but I just cut it half short, pornog, <laughs> the overconsumption, over-indexing on porn, junk food, alcohol, social media, time consumption spent on these apps. If you were to over-index on those things to make the vast portion of your life consisting of porn, junk food, sedentary, gaming, okay, sedentary life, gaming, 
uh, time spent on social media and time spent in an unfulfilling job that you do not intend to serve humanity with. I think we can say a relative confidence if you were to over-index on those five things that I just gave you across your life, you would eventually end up as a lonely old man. Not only because you wouldn't cultivate relationships, you wouldn't cultivate your ability to cultivate relationships. Your ability, what I'm inherently saying there is your social dynamics, your ability to be a man based upon principles of being direct, congruent, and authentic. And for an hour lay of that, to be direct with your intent, to be upfront with people, to be not this sly slug in the background who is always trying to fandangle and and just con people into forming perceptions, making decisions about who that person is in that time. No, but you have this way about you that always communicates to people, this is what I'm thinking, this is who I am, this is what I stand for, and I will be direct about it in all situations, bearing nuances that require a slightly more indirect approach Nonetheless, with direct energy and those situations being far and few between, for the most part, being direct and upfront with people is always going to be a clear path forward. That's me being direct. Me being congruent with my external actions in which that if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. If I say I'm going to do it, I do it. It's follow through. It's commitment. It's staying the path. Once you've decided what the path is through directness, I stay the path through congruence. Right? This congruence of that if I tell my sexual partner that I'll be there at five, I will be there at five. I'll do my very best to be there at five. If I'm not there at five, then there better be a bloody good reason for why I'm not there at five and I'll communicate that with the directness and the honesty of it all. Honesty is well playing into directness as well, but honesty also plays into really all of these. External congruence. Say what I do, do what I say. Follow through. Commitment. Show up. Show up. Show up when I say that I'll be there. It's such a basic principle, but to show up in life, not just to just show up at 5 p.m., but to show up as the person that person expected. It's, it's not enough just to show up. You must show up as always putting forth the best that you can. It's unacceptable to rock up to your uh, dinner with mom, to your dinner with your girlfriend, to a uni exam to a physical competition to a jujitsu competition to uh, a meeting with your friend to have drinks with him and or to go ahead and do some uh, do some yoga down on the beach it's unacceptable to not to to actively go ahead and either self-sabotage self-sabotage by doing something prior to that that you know would be deleterious to your performance in this particular event that's incongruent you know you need to bring the best of yourself to this person, to all events in life. It's not to say that you're always going to be the best of yourself, but the intent to be there should always be there. The intent to be the best of yourself should always be there. That's congruence as we're laying out here. To walk the path as best as you can. We, deserve, we set the path, now we want to walk the path, and we say we're going to walk the path, so we will show up on the path, but we don't just show up on the path half drunk, half even awake, and just thinking that that's acceptable with our tongue hanging out of our mouth and our fucking zip undone. When we're walking the path, we're walking the path as true as we can. Congruence. Congruence to that idea, to that ideal. And then authenticity. Internal decision-making. Your morals, your ethics, your values. The internal compass of your decisions is what authenticity is, what I mean by that when I'm talking about our principles of masculinity. And I did go through this in the recent podcast of the sound principles of masculinity. But it is most 
uh, ready and pertinent for this particular moment, which is the authenticity of your internal decision-making. It's guided by what you feel is right, what you know is right. I think inherently, and I think there is most debate, much debate between the hyper-intellectuals of this world as to whether morals are something that are born into us genetically as a result of evolution that we inherently know what's right to do or whether it's something that has to be taught. I think there's, there is argument that goes between both of them. I feel myself leaning towards, it feels like a lot of our morals and ethics not to go ahead and randomly kill people is, is a very much a genetic predisposition because it's not conducive to having a strong community and a strong community is definitely more favorable to pass on its genes into the future. So it makes sense that what we call the moral of not killing people, not murdering everyone around us, serves a genetic purpose, serves a uh, evolutionary purpose. So, but yes, but then I guess as, as as we develop as human beings, there's more intricate scenarios that start to come into play that maybe evolution didn't have time to prepare us, didn't have time, that's the wrong word, but that evolution didn't have the foresight to prepare us for. I'm not sure if I'm thinking about this correctly. I don't think I am. I'm not using the right words for it. What I'm attempting to say is that there are some very intricate scenarios in our society now that, yeah, here we go, as I mentioned before, that it doesn't appear that our human development, our evolutionary development was ever foreseen. Social media was not something that could have been foreseen by evolution. And it seems that our development is not ready for it, which is why you see such cases of anxiety, depression, suicide ideation, as a result of just using this one tool, which can bring so much benefit, but it seems to have such tremendous potential for destruction as well, which is social media, which seems to hijack all of our worst evolutionary impulses, the ones that we don't really want, and heightens them. And our emotionality, our taps into our reptilian mind, our uh, limbic system. Anyways, well, why did I bring this up? Authenticity. Coming back to, oh, okay, morals and ethics. That's why we're going on a major tangent there. Getting back to the morals and ethics of things, authenticity, this final principle, or the third major principle, not final principle, but the third major principle. Authenticity, doing what you feel is right, for God's sake. Doing what you feel is right, what you know to be right. If you know that the way that you treat people, the way that you handle confrontational situations, the way that you imbue your message with empathy, which speaks into the next one, whether you would even make the decision to do that. Honoring other people's other people's uh, presence, viewpoint, perspective. Honoring other people. To be authentic at a very core level to me is that when you know what needs to be done and you know what should be done, do you do it or you don't know it? Do you do it or do you not do it? It's like, I guess the picture I'd like to paint here on the path is when you're walking down this path, you set the path through directness, you walk in the path to the best of your ability because you said you would, congruence, and now with authenticity, you come across a, an injured man along the side of the path. What's right? To lean down and say, hey, are you okay today? Can I help you out? Or to keep walking and ignore as if it was never even there. That's what I'm talking about with authenticity principle in this analogy of the path. Now, it's not to say that you can have 
uh, that you can stop for everyone along the way. Because, of course, otherwise you would spend all day thinking about everyone who's in a bad position. Empathy is not endless. Authenticity, to that degree, cannot be endless. But when situations are within your control and you know what's right, you know what should be done, do you do it or do you not do it? For my 19-year-old who was uh, found himself now a restraining order and a criminal record, if he had checked in with himself on, am I acting upon the authenticity principle of checking in with my internal compass first to make sure that I'm making the right decision here when I go to her house after already being served a restraining order, but now driving to her house? Is that the right thing to do? If he had checked in with the authenticity principle and checked in with himself, honestly, humbly, a well-adjusted human being would probably say no. Would most likely say no. I would hope they would say no. Finally, and the principle of empathy, covering with empathy. So direct, congruent, authentic, covering with empathy. Covering with empathy tags off very closely towards authenticity as well. But you can talk about it at a much deeper level. We can, we can look at the care and well-being, the care for the well-being, for all beings, that you come across within your effectual control control that you can affect. I'm not saying that you have to spend wakeless nights thinking about the children in Africa. That's not what empathy is about. What empathy is about is within the beings and the situations within your effectual control in your spatial environment, very of close proximity. That's what we're talking about, that in your conversations with people that you seek to understand first. You seek to get a window into who and how they might be feeling, who they are, how they might be feeling, to guide your actions based on the other perspective, to be able to put yourself in another's perspective and then to reconfigure, review what your particular message or action was going to be towards them prior to doing so, prior to saying to her that, hey, listen, I, I can't, uh, oh, how about this? Not, I can't. Prior to saying to her that, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and, no, it's not even saying though. Let me nail this down. One of the greatest examples I use for young guys is, particularly for young guys, is that when you know this girl is pushing her own revs, when this girl seems uncomfortable, when this girl does not seem ready for a sexual experience, and you check in with the empathy principle and you go, hang on a second, even though she's giving me green lights, even if she's pushing on me, even if she's trying to take my clothes off, even if she's trying to kiss me and trying to show me that she's ready for sex, but I can feel inherently that actually her heart rate's not there, it's all over the shop. And I don't mean that because she's so damn excited because I can feel her nerves. I can inherently feel through the practice of social dynamics and being able to be tapped into the moment to feel that she's nervous about this and that her actions are not coming from a place of at peace, calmly grounded, yet still electric and feminine sexual energy in terms that she's at peace with that and this is what she wants. No, this is coming from a completely different place. This is coming from the place of that she's trying to live up to expectations that were already preceded in her mind. Now, she's not trying to get sexual with me because that's exactly what she wants so fast right now. It's because that's what she thinks that I think what she wants. Not only that, but it's also what she thinks what I think I want. It's a game of expectations. It's, and you can feel this with, with particularly younger girls. They're trying to live up. Had this time and time again. We discussed this on social Q&A time and time again. That you need to be adequately prepared sociodynamically speaking as a masculine being to be able to slow a girl down to be able to say recognize when someone's not ready if that's you or if that's her 
a lot of times it's going to be you as well. A lot of times it's going to be with her. Covering with empathy to be in a moment with someone and to feel as they do. To be in a moment with someone and to feel as they feel. This is covering with empathy. And then to reconfigure, as I said, what you will then do and then what you will then say. If you're coming from empathy and you can realize someone is a little bit nervous and not ready for sex right now, even though they're actively trying to push sex upon you, slow down. Hold your frame. Hold that vessel. Continue the vessel like nature. Maintain this connection and this position of, I'm here for your well-being, first and foremost. That when it comes to you as this feminine being interacting with me here in this intimate space, close her off. Your eyes are in me. My heart's in you. I care for you, first and foremost. Your well-being is the most important thing to me. You don't need to have sex right now. You don't need to live up to some expectation that your friends set, that social media set, that society as a whole set. What only thing that needs to be set is the connection between you and I. And the connection between you and I will always be the most important thing. It will always be the number one connection point. The number one, let me take that back, will always be the point of connection that you and I will hold at the highest level. Covering of empathy. So, to put it into a summary now, direct, congruent, authentic, covering of empathy. Now you understand what I say, that when I just say those three words, or those four words, they are much deeper than one would take off a surface level. It's a whole philosophy. This philosophy, though, this philosophy is my philosophy. I didn't get this from anyone else, although I have been influenced by many others. It's something I synthesized for myself. And that, I've said this in many videos, actually, which is that while a lot of you, a lot of my hardcores who follow this or the hardcores of this podcast, they will take those principles and they take them to heart and they live their lives by them. But I'm never saying you have to do that. I'm saying you can synthesize those and you can maybe interchange them with different words, different principles yourself. Find your own way. Find your own purpose. Make sure that, and now coming right back in which I said that we were talking about how sad boys become lonely old men. What is it that you do that would ensure that you do go from being a sad boy to a lonely old man? Well, keep watching porn, keep eating junk food, keep having a sedentary lifestyle, keep over-indexing on social media and other forms of unfulfilling and unconnected forms of human connection. Keep doing all those things and you'll definitely become a lonely old man because you would not cultivate the relationships and in your life to make sure that you are feeling connected, but you would also not cultivate the ability to cultivate those relationships. But there's another way of framing that question. What are you doing that would ensure that you not only do not become a lonely old man, but that you do in fact become an abundant, well-connected, fulfilled, joyous, strong, spirit-enveloped man? Well, in my account, in my perspective, you would have principles that you set up and you live by. You live by direct, live by congruent, live by authentic, live by covering of empathy. If you were to do all those things, if you were to be direct of all beings and to make sure that people always got the most honest version of you at all times possible, if you were to make sure that every time you interacted with someone and interacted with life in general, that you did it with such honor that if I say I'm doing it, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. If you were to go throughout your life and to rigor each decision around an internal compass of what you felt was right, what you felt was most right at that moment. And making sure that no matter how difficult it may be to execute on, if it's right, I'm going to do it. 
and that you always held the care, the emotional care for all people that you engaged with, including yourself, covering with empathy in every situation possible. I think it would be very difficult if you lived a life like that to end up being old and lonely. Let me give you guys a story right now. Oh, maybe not. Because I was going to write this as an article. Okay, okay, okay. I think I am going to write this as an article. I'm going to save this for the bowl sip. But because I mentioned it, or maybe I can find an interchangeable story then. Okay, yes, I can. I'll find an interchangeable story. The story, the, the, what I was about to go into was a story of people being attracted to you. The principles I just mentioned, being direct, congruent, authentic, and covering of empathy. When you start to nail these principles, and as long as you have tied those principles into a circuitry developmental program, a development program that's like a circuit in a way in which that not only do you hold these mentalities and philosophies in your mind, but you're also in development at the same time, which means that you're also building something. You're building a temple, which is based upon having a purpose, having physical development, mental development, and social development. And then also transcended, of course, by your inner knowing of true nature in the inner garden. But what I'm talking about here is the total temple development. So you got these principles, but you're also swinging the hammer. It's like, I know why I'm swinging the hammer and I know how I'm going to swing the hammer. And now this is what I'm swinging the hammer on. And so you've got all these elements now which interface with reality itself, your purpose, physical, mental, social development. You you will inherently, inevitably, you will inevitably find that people will become attracted to you as you are doing this. So let me paint you in the story of the I can give, I'll give you an analogy first and then I'll give you a story. So the analogy here is that if you are taking you into the Amazon jungle, there's two clearings and you've got, you got, you got Jeffrey on the left and you've got Steve on the right. Jeffrey on the left is doing everything we just said. He's got his principles set up and he's got his developmental plan in life. He's got his principles and development plan. And he's just going to work every day on his temple, laying out the foundations, building the pillars, just getting that mortar out, getting the windows, getting all his materials, and he's just slogging away, just slogging away on his temple. And then to the right, you see another temple, or you see another clearing, and you've got Steve-O, who has no principles and has no real plan of development whatsoever. He's just, just trying to make something. He's trying to do something. Sometimes he doesn't do anything, actually. Sometimes it seems like he just wakes up, grabs a coconut from the tree next to him, and just lies down all day. And then some days he kind of gets a couple bricks and kind of makes like a little hut out of them. But he's not really happy with it, so he kind of knocks it down after that. And then because it wasn't really that solid, like a storm comes through and it just obliterates it anyway. And then he has to inevitably go over to someone else's tent. He probably has to go over to Jeffrey's and just ask if he can camp out for a little while. And then he goes back to his old little shithole. Right, that, that's what's going on next to him. <laughs> which one do you, which, not the great question here. Which path, not path, which, which person would you rather be? Would you rather be Jeffrey on the left, who's got the principles and the development plan, and he's just slogging away? Or would you rather be this just, quite frankly, just a fish, just an absolute fish, who's just got no concern for his development in life or his purpose whatsoever, or his principles at all? Who would you rather be? It's almost a rhetorical question, but I don't mean it to be a rhetorical question, because it seems that so many people are choosing the life of Steve-O. It seems that so many people are, are being sad young boys who are just watching porn all day, eating junk food, sedentary lifestyle, over-indexing on social media, and that's their lives. And then you wonder how they turn up into being lonely old men by the time they're 50. 
who have no vigor, no vitality, no energy in their spirit for engaging in life itself and are more than anything just a drain on the system itself. You never want to choose that. But why do so many? Why do so many? Maybe that's a question that's well above my pay grade. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a question that's well within my pay grade and I've already answered it, which is that they never cho- if you don't choose purpose, it purpose does not choose you. If you don't live the life that is principle-guided, developmentally run, you will inherently fall into the opposite. It is without question that you will fall into a life of dismay, darkness, spiraled outwards, downwards, if you do not choose a path of growth, light, strength itself. There is no predetermined, inherited through the bloodstream program that says, yes, it's particularly, particularly in 2022, when we have so many distractions, so many for-profit entities that would see that you overindulged and indexed on the very things that would lead to a life of no purpose and of complete dismay and darkwood spiraling that would eventually shoot, shit you out the end of the system as this lonely old man. In a situation like that, which is the one that we currently find ourselves in, strength, light, purpose, drive is not inherited through the bloodstream. You have to choose it. Now, it just so happens that some people are blessed to have a community, parents, friends that can help foster this, that can help set them up to always be on this path. So it's almost as if they never made the decision to begin with. It's just all they've known. I just live through drive, strength, and spirit. That's what I do. However, that's few and far between. It's few and far between. And to be honest, because of how, for lack of better words, messed up our society is now, I feel like everyone has to take command of that. I feel like everyone is going to fall at some point if they don't choose to stand. I feel like everyone is going to fall at some point if they don't choose to stand. And you can take that shit to the bank. We once lived in a time where standing was the only option. It's not anymore. Our lives have become so easy that falling has become made possible and readily available for all of us. Because there's a net underneath it. A net that catches you when you fall, but it gives you no such ability to get back up. Once you become addicted to porn, junk food, processed seed oils, high fructose corn syrup, once you get addicted to gaming, once you get addicted to social media, the systems that encourage that addiction do not simultaneously encourage the removal of that addiction. It is in their it is not in their interest to remove that addiction and it is only in their interest to persist it. So they'll never let you fall so hard that you die. Not yet. Not until they've drained you of much resource to benefit theirs. If you don't choose to stand, you're only going to fall. I really resonate with that. And that just came out for the first time today. So, 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 so. As we start to bring this potto to a wrap. Oh, I said I was going to give you guys a story. Yes, yes. We'll bring this with a wrap. So I was talking about the attraction. So when you, that's why I brought up actually the two stories of the Jeffrey on the left who's just 
just grinded, grinded on his principles, grinded on his development, developing his temple. And then you got Steve, who's just this absolute dropkick on the right, who's just addicted to all these things, making nothing of himself in order to be able to give something to others. Let's just say that a couple of, couple of from, the, from the village over, tri- tribe of uh, beautiful women happen to stroll on through there. They're cutting down. They're cutting down ways. They're trying to find themselves some resources. They're trying to see what else is out in this environment. All right, and they stumble across these two specimens, these two examples of what can be done in this world. Who do you think appeals as more attracting to the opposite sex? To this tribe of women walking through, and they see these two examples of a purpose-driven man versus a purposeless-driven man, which is almost a misnomer of itself. He's not driven at all. He's driven into doing nothing. Who would you be more attracted to? And here comes the story. As I've been finding as a coach of social dynamics, and this is, uh, this is transcendent. This is transcendent on the journey of social dynamics, which is that in order to transcend the journey of social dynamics, which is, as I described, from going from unconsciously incompetent to, at a minimum, consciously competent, achieved, and cemented, which would be a level of seven to eight on the clock face of social dynamics. So if you took a clock face, if you're new to this concept, 12 o'clock being unconsciously incompetent, which means you, you're so bad, you don't even know how bad you are. You don't even know what you don't even know. And then you go through to 12 to three, that's unconsciously incompetent. Three to six, consciously incompetent. Now you know how bad you are, and you're aware of this, but you're actively working to change that. But it's like, you, you know you suck, but you know what you suck at. Three to six, six to nine, now stepping into conscious competence, which is now I can do what I want to do. I know what I'm doing. I can't do it perfectly, but I can do it. And it does work, right? That's third quartile. And then now moving to the fourth quartile from nine to 12, being unconsciously competent. Now you are so good at what you do, you don't even have to think about it. You don't even, you're not even consciously processing anymore. It's so unconscious. I'm just so good at what I do. I just do it and that's it. Once you go through that process of learning social dynamics, however long it takes you, the journey will always be your journey. But when you invariably transcend and move and transverse through that journey of the self, there is something that happens as a, well, the journey is never over. That's just one part of the journey. But the part of the journey and the path is at a minimum, having to achieve and cement a level of conscious competence in my mind. That's what I set as a goal for all clients and for all human beings, really, should at least have a base minimum level of seven to eight of conscious competence in social dynamics. And without going too much deeper into the weeds of what that looks like, but basically, just for those of you who are really new, what that would look like is that not only can you read and execute social cues, but people enjoy being around you. You don't find it too difficult to make friends. If you find interest, potential interest in a romantic partner, you have the not only the confidence, but the wherewithal. You have the ability to be able to run a cold interaction from open clo- qualification investment close. I almost skipped to the end there. Open qualification investment close the four principles of running a cold uh, interaction. You know how to do that. You can't do it very to, you, no, you can do it well, but you can't do it so well that you don't have to think about it. Right, that's a really good idea of conscious competence, and conscious competence also means that it's without strain that you are able to manage the dance between masculine and feminine energy. 
sexual polarization. It is not the mysteries of the universe to you that when you are sitting there on the couch and that a girl nuzzles in a little bit closer to you that you would put your arm around her. You make no qualms about this. You don't second guess yourself. You don't rack your mind for what is the best move to do. It's just consciously competent, up a arm around her. And when she looks up at you and stares a little too long that you would then go ahead and kiss her. Consciously competent. Okay. Now, there are maybe some parts of you if you're in the midway of it, as things get a little bit more heated in the first time that you might enter a little bit more of a, uh, there might be some self-questioning patterns come in, but you can harness them. You can manage it. It's all manageable. Whatever nerves or anxiety you have, it's all manageable. It's nothing's throwing you off. Like nothing's throwing an absolute spanner in these works. You feeling me? So that's consciously covered to give you guys a picture of it. I like to be thorough. So, 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 so. What I'm talking about here, though, this is just groundwork for the larger point of which once you have either spent enough time in conscious... No, it, it was always going to lead to this point at some point. It just depends on how much time. People who spend enough time in conscious competence of social dynamics will invariably reach a point of unconscious competence. To how, to what degree of unconscious competence, because unconscious competence is between 9 to 12. They might not reach the full 12. That would take some pretty serious training or being a natural, one of the two. But for someone who's, let's say, not a natural and has gone through the training process, even just reaching 9 or 9, 10, you know, like 9 point whatever, like just early unconscious uh, competent. They will eventually give off this allure, this energy in which that because they are no longer having to consciously process social dynamics, they're just so good at what they do that they just do it, that they no longer need to do. And now a quote comes in from Lao Tzu. And it's eluding me right now, the exact phrasing of the words. Maybe I should just Google it. But I feel like I should know this really well. There's so many other quotes going through my mind. Hang on. I feel like I should know this because this is one that I do know. It's not those who speak do not know and those who know do not speak. It's not that. That's not what I'm talking about. It's the one about acting. Oh, gosh. It's just eluding my mind right now. It's the quote. It's the basically, like I'm trying to get it word for word, but essentially the practice of non-action, that the practice of non-action by non-acting, by not acting, you act more effectively. Now, that is the principle that I'm getting at. Let me get the actual quote because it really ticks me off that I don't have this in my mind. <laughs> the Tao leaves nothing undone. Does nothing but leaves nothing undone. There we go. That took me a little while to get to the recall. My apologies for that. But I, the concept I was going on was that to, circum, to circle right back here, what I was attempting to get at here is that the way leaves does nothing yet leaves nothing undone. That is the interpretation by Wayne Dyer that I'm more familiar with. And what I was meaning by that in relation to having transcended social dynamics is that as you become so proficient in socializing and communicating with human beings and interacting with them, it appears as though you do nothing, yet you leave nothing undone. It's beautiful, isn't it? Because anyone who is in that stage of development can relate intensely. Like when I hear that, myself say that back, it's like, yes, Yes, it's that people just seem to be naturally attracted to me if they are aligned in not only the same frequency of energy, but the same frequency of intent, of desire for what this experience could be. 
that when you match with a frequency of someone and, you know, don't try not to get too bogged down in what, well, all I'm really saying there is just an alignment, an alignment between inherently what you two feel is best in this moment, whether you feel like you are connected on a, either a sexual, physical, sexual, mental, or sexual, spiritual level, there's an alignment in some degree that's going on between those three things that you can, that you can do very little yet leave nothing undone, which is to say that everything gets done. If you leave nothing undone, then everything gets done, yet you did very little. And what that is to say is that there was no thinking mind involved. You were just to bring this down to the pragmatics of things or the tacticality of things, which is that you were just so at ease. You were so natural with yourself. You were so at peace with the moment, so grounded and centered and sitting deeply within yourself that as the social cues came, you responded, and but you, you didn't respond but you responded. You didn't respond, but you responded. As to paint that there was no ego perceiving, executing, wheeling and dealing. It's just a flow, a flow between you and her. And so this is what, this is what I wanted to point out is that where, why all this came in together is that once you've got a handle on the mechanics of social dynamics and you've trained the mechanics of social dynamics, there comes a next stage in the journey in which that, because remember, social is only one part of temple development. You still got purpose, physical and mental, and also knowing your true nature up in the inner garden. And more esoteric, something not for the discussion of today, the knowing of your true nature. But it is still the social dynamics, particularly if we're talking about the social dynamic training of you interrelating between masculine and feminine energy on a sexual plane as well, even more specifically. You know, once that's done, there's so much more of the journey to be had in your interrelation between human beings. But a lot of it is actually in the reverse of what took you up this mountain. A lot of it is what is coming down the mountain. And what that is to say is that while you spent so much time actively having to learn social dynamics, now it's actually the reverse. That because you spent so much time doing that and you become so good at it, now it's you're so unconscious with it, that now that it's on autopilot, a lot of your interacting with human beings is just interacting with human beings, allowing the interaction to happen as it will, to find yourself putting forward this energy of indifference, uncertain about certain outcomes, uncertain about certain outcomes. It is certain that if I am to match myself in a frequency and an alignment with a sexual partner, potential sexual partner, it is uncertain, well, it is certain that if that is to happen, that if I can do as I have been trained to do without doing, but still no, 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 uh, make no qualms, doing but not doing, I still do, which is to say, Every social cue, every reading of a social cue just happens. It naturally happens. It is certain that if it is mutually received, she, if, if she is on the same level, this will progress. The outcome is certain. But it is uncertain as to whether that would happen. There are so many factors that could play into that that you have no idea that are unrelated to your 50. Uncertain about a certain outcome. That's something that I've only just said for the first time here in this podcast, yet it makes so much sense to me in this moment. Uncertain about certain outcomes. Every t- it's almost as if 
Uh, and this is actually a slightly different point to the main point of what I was getting on, but it's actually quite a gem that we've just stumbled upon, which is that when you become so good at social dynamics and you're no longer doing for the sake of doing, and that you are no longer doing but leaving nothing undone, and that you are, and what that really speaks to here, to try and not use those philosophical paradoxical terms, but to to really just nail it down in very easy terms to understand, is that just so natural, so in the flow, so in the moment of things, that someone is naturally attracted towards you. What, what, what it means, even there, that's a little too rudimentary though. It's a little too simplistic because it's not just that they're naturally attracted to you, it's because it, they only give off that natural attraction. What I'm speaking to here is that that effortlessness with which they just want to be around you. They just want to be around you. It's only feeling so natural and so effortless because you are not cognitively processing what you're doing. But as you learn social dynamics, as, you, as you're learning social dynamics, it's always such a enlightening moment when something does work because you're likely coming from a place where things did not work in the past and now they are working but intermittently and so every time it intermittently works it's like oh shit it's working and you're conscious of it's working but when you get to a stage of social dynamics when everything is now working and it works on its own you get this feeling from people that hey this person just wants to be around me it's this person is just naturally attracted to me and the reason why I said naturally attracted sounded too rudimentary, it's because it didn't, it, it, it almost pulls you away from the, from the core bedrock of how that happens or how that comes to be as if naturally attracted just because, not just because, it's because you had done so much acting before, doing before I should say, that now you no longer need to do, even though you're still doing. This may be, I, hopefully some of you are getting this. I understand that an absolute beginner of social dynamics probably is lost on this. But please, I hope that you hanged with this and that in time, this may be a point that only someone standing in a certain place could understand. I would not for a second be confused or surprised if anyone less than conscious competence would say that, the last 10 minutes of what I just spoke on made almost no sense. Almost no sense. But anyone who's above conscious competence in social dynamics, particularly those who are unconsciously competent, should be able to understand what I'm saying. It's and Because really, you have to have transcended that journey. You have to have understood how, what it was like to be so bad at social dynamics that you have to think about it to the point where you're so good at it that you don't have to think about it. And now it's as if people are just naturally attracted to you. But they're not just naturally attracted to you for the sake of being naturally attracted to you. It's because you had gone through that journey in of itself. That, that is a good wrap up. That is what I'm trying to say here. If you don't get it after that point, there's nothing more I could say because I think that that's just a problem of where are you standing in the journey? Where are you on the path? And the whole reason why I brought this up to really bring this back up was pointing towards what kind of man or what kind of old man you're going to be because my friends, we're all going to become old men and old women. We will all become old people. But that is only a fact of numeracy, of numerical age, chronology. We do not all have to become old of energy. There are 50, 60, 70, 80. I was with a couple 70-year-olds literally two days ago. I was literally, I had a three-hour conversation with two 70-year-olds 
who were the parents of my best friend and brother in the journey who took his own life. Every, every year I go see them on the anniversary. I sat down with them for three hours and I commented to them that I had, if you had told me that you guys were 50-55, I would have said, yep, no worries. Because of your energy. If I just heard you on the phone, if I couldn't see you, because while they may be looking like they are 70 years old, and actually I would say they're looking pretty good for 70, but most importantly, that their energy is there. Their energy is there. They are still full of life within themselves. They're still vibrant. That was a larger point, but the natural attraction, speaking on things of uh, more of a social dynamic nature, it's just something that I've noticed in my own journey, which is that, and I'm not even sure, to be honest, I don't actually remember why I brought this up, but I'll finish it anyway, which is that learning social dynamics consciously and actively will eventually bring you to the place if, ah, the tribes women, the tribes women, that's why I brought this bit up. If you're simultaneously focused being a, if you are simultaneously a principle-driven, temple development-focused person, people will naturally be attracted to you. Specifically as well, even more so if you have upped your level of social dyna- uh, dynamics and your social development is really on par. It would just seem that people, as you're working away on your little temple, you're just building, you're slogging, you're grinding, it will just appear that And it will be that, not just appear, but it will be that. Some tribeswomen walking through the jungle and they see you there would naturally want to come in and have a conversation. Take a peek, take a look, find attraction towards you. What am I speaking towards here? The lonely old men. What did they stop doing? Why are they lonely? Why are they lonely? Because they do not have an inbuilt... they, They lack... The print, not only the principles, but the developed temple that would have people naturally want to include themselves in their lives. This is the point. This is the point. This is to say that when I see a commonality amongst old, lonely men, that I wouldn't want to be attached to their lives. It's like going back to that quote from Musashi earlier on. This now comes in. The very first quote that I read, let's just go back to one part of it, the first uh, excerpt. When, me and my, when Musashi was saying to Otsu on the bridge that, you know, you can't come with me because I, I understand what it means to be human now. I'm going to dedicate myself to training and discipline, spend every single moment of every single day working to improve myself. I know now how far I have to go. If you choose to bind your life to mine, you'd never be happy. There will, never be, no- there will be nothing but hardship and it won't get easier as it goes along. It'll get more and more difficult. And she responds to that. She responds to his unabashed, unapologetic, complete dismissal of her, saying that this, this is my focus in life. It's not you. You are not my priority. My focus in life is working and developing myself. And that if you were to even attempt to come in to my life, you would find nothing but dismay, disappointment, because it would be nothing but hardship. She responds to that with, when you talk like that, I feel closer to you than ever. Now I'm convinced I was right. I found the best man I could ever find, even if I searched for the rest of my life. That right there is the perfect story 
painting of what I am talking about. That Musashi is effectively saying to her, I'm going to live my life by principles and I'm going to be developing my temple for the rest of my life and that is my number one priority. He's just doing, he's, he's demonstrating all the principles we've talked about throughout this podcast that would lead to someone naturally wanting to include themselves in your life. How did Otsu respond? Now, of course, this is not a, this is a fictional retelling based on true events. This actual conversation, it's unlikely this actual conversation happened. I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't think so. Like, I don't think this is the, 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 the non-fictional parts of this particular book surround the events, but not the conversations of this type of stuff. This is more for the, uh, the romance of things. But inherently laid within it is something that the author has understood about what makes women naturally attracted to men, which is that when men are on their drive, on their purpose, when they are cultivating their temples and they are just so to the point of single-mindedly focused on achieving something, that inherently is attractive. That is unquestionably attractive. Even if, even if it outwardly would not provide the greatest experience for her on a sensory pleasurable level because he would not be able to dedicate nearly as much time as maybe some low-level fish would who would be able to give all his time to her because he's not really doing that much. That's really, you guys hopefully can feel that that feels terrible. I wouldn't want to be around someone like that. It's like, who are you most attracted to? You're most attracted to the people that have drive, that are pushing forward on their paths and lives. Purpose-driven. And then you think about the lonely old men. The lonely old men. Now, there are old men that are busy. There are old men that are busy. But being busy does not mean that you are being useful. There is busy work and there is useful work to be studied carefully. And that, my friends, is primarily, I primarily, that is where we will, it is profit, I should say, to start to actually wrap up this podcast. On Sad Boys... And old men, lonely old men, I should say. Sad boys and lonely old men, I hope if any of you are one of those right now, you have been schooled in what it means to overcome that, to transition from that, to alchemize that darkness within you that is festering and seeing uh, fertile soil of such dark nature continue to be perpetuated. Hopefully you would look at that and go, no, it's not going to be me. Either it's not going to be me or I'm going to stop being that person now. If you're a male listening to this, always contrast who you are with who the kind of person you would want your daughter to be with. Are you anything like that person? Particularly for males, hits home. And if you're a female listening to this, what kind of man would you want your daughter to be with? What are you teaching her? to look for what seeds are you dropping in her mind to cultivate it's all seeds and they all will be cultivated at some stage it's been my goal in this podcast to drop seeds and to help cultivate seeds of light strength purpose hopefully i've done that and i thank you all so much for having dived in into what's been a Quite a crazy session, actually. Quite an all-over-the-session, all-over-the-place session. 
And I think that's what's uh, great about these long forms. We can really dive into things. And yeah, all the plugs will come at the end for the audio podcast. But if you're here on YouTube, I'd most appreciate it if you just drop me a feedback and a comment down below. Drop a thumbs up on the video if you enjoyed it. Share with a friend if you thought you got something from it. And I'll leave all that rest of it there. And if you want to dive into any more of the uh, educational content, just go to bulldozer.com, free email article, all down there. All the links down below. And with that being said, I wish you all so much love, so much peace, and all the joy in this year of 2022. We're going to have a banger. We are going to have a banger, no matter what happens. We're in control of our lives. And I'll see you guys all real soon. Ciao. Thank you very much for diving into today's session. It was great to have you here, and I'd love your feedback. If you want to send me a message on either social media, on Instagram, or on Facebook, or through the website, all the links are down below. That'd be greatly appreciated. And if you would like to help to support the podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link or through boldoja.com. Again, all the links down below. Also, if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter, The Bowl Sip, you can do so over at boldoja.com. Just a quick sip of Social Dynamics, a little cheeky article. It's free every single week. Comes out on Fridays, Australian time, and also some other sexy updates from the rest of the universe and any other things that I think you guys need to know about that will not get censored over on social media. If you'd like to book one-on-one coaching sessions, create action plans, and overcome limiting beliefs to help you move forward in your life across any area of the temple, whether it be purpose, physical, mental, or social development, you can reach all of that through boldojo.com. Send me an email there if you're not quite sure, but you can check out the Bold Coaching memberships or just once-off sessions. And I look forward to diving deeper with you. You can also pick up the guided meditation, Eternal Energy, on boldojo.com nice five track Eh, we call it an album but it's actually more of a course just diving deep into who you are and evolving beyond if you'd like to help support this podcast you can donate anything that you wish through the paypal link which is paypal.me forward slash adam ui a-d-a-m-o-o-i or also directly on boldojo.com in the boldojo podcast section there's a direct link through the website if you want to donate through that as well and anything that you guys donate is always most appreciated and just goes back to help supporting this show and everything that I'm doing here at The Bowl. So thank you very much. And finally, I wish you all the strength and power as you move forward in this life, not only learning how to interact better with other people, but learning how to interact better with yourself. Much peace and much joy. Ciao.